Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, welcome once again to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Great to have your company. Uh, Nick McArdle here with Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. Christy, welcome to you. Nick, you're looking pretty relaxed there, mate. That was yeah, a just, relaxed intro just too. kicking that back. And, yeah, well, you know, it's what, what is, what's there to be tense about, really? Well, unfortunately, the Australian Super Rugby side oh, yes, that's right. out of the competition, but yep. an exciting final to look forward to. Yeah, it was a disappointing uh, semi-final, wasn't it, in uh, Buenos Aires with uh, the Brumbies being completely outclassed on this occasion by the Jaguaras and, and the Brumbies were, well, they were never really in the game and uh, the locals from Argentina, incredibly impressive and now we're all wondering if they've got what it takes to beat the Crusaders in the final this uh, Saturday afternoon on Fox Sports. Yeah, completely contrasting semi-finals. The, 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 the Crusaders, the Hurricanes, one of the games of the year and then you looked at the Brumbies and unfortunately, uh, I think Phil Kern said it after the game that if you don't win your line-out, you're not going to win the game and unfortunately, they lost about their first five from six line-outs for yep. flying and struggling and and before they knew it, it was what, 13 nil down then 20 nil down after as many minutes long way to climb in front of a 31,000 packed crowd in Buenos Aires. What a, what a crowd it was. Passionate crowd. I mean, that, that place Sounds sounds full with ten thousand. You stick thirty one thousand in there. It was uh, it was unbelievable the noise that they were making. Interesting about Phil Alfanger and and his throwing. Um, Justin Harrison uh, on uh, on the broadcast on the weekend made the suggestion that yeah you know maybe the the throwing was a bit off. But he said that the that the callers and and the lifters had uh, maybe. Uh, some of the blame to be laid at their feet as well, that it was a, a collective poor performance from the Brumbies line-out, not just for Laufeinger. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, if anyone saw Super Rugby, uh, the Super Rugby wrap on Monday night, Steve Hoyle's one of the masters of the line-out, did a really good, almost like a CAFE analysis field with the TV and, and described, well, showed perfectly that, look, the the Haguaras the, the weren't playing at the front. They had left Scotty CEO completely open and they just wouldn't throw to him. Yep. And they were throwing to, to, to the guys who were certainly challenged by the, the strong Argentinian pack. But, yeah, they had nothing. And yeah. And that's not why they lost, though. They, they, you know, it was a it was a collective uh, of reasons, and, and I think they had was it close to thirty missed tackles in the first half, and you know, so it was. Oh, it was, it was a big a, reason why. It was a big reason, but sure, it wasn't the only, sure, only that's one. Right. But oh, no doubt. But, but you know, and then the unknown uh, factor is is the travel and, you know, you can feel fit as a fiddle, but, but in fact you're a little bit flat, you're a little bit off compared to what you normally are and, you know, sleeping in a hotel room all, all week. You know, all these things feed into it. I'm sure there are greater minds than ours um, going to wade through all of the things that went into that, that loss uh, from a Canberra point of view. It was amazing, though. You look at... Right from the start and how um, how revved up the entire squad were, it was remarkable scenes looking at the, the, the guys that are in from the wider squad just mm. creating a tunnel atmosphere for the players to run forward and through. Thomas Gabelli, though, his initial couple of kicks were just bang on the money, though, from his box kicks, getting over touch over the, over the halfway line and the amount of pressure that they put on, the Brumbies just couldn't cope. And we will see how much of a impact or how much of a... Of a of a d- difference, um, their their defeat 
in Buenos Aires in the semi-final in a knockout game has on this wider Wallaby squad when it gets announced in, in the next couple of days? Well, that is uh, one of the questions that I think we'll be asking John Connolly, uh, joining us shortly on the Fox Rugby podcast. Uh, you know, the, the former Wallaby coach has a view on all of these things, particularly savvy around selection, so we'll be asking John that. And also joining us today, Kiri Lingman uh, from... The Queensland Super W team and, and part of uh, the Wallaroos set up as we head towards four very important test matches for uh, our women's 15 side. Yeah, yeah, and so it's great to get around the Wallaroos. A couple of test matches coming up. But the final to look to forward to first, uh, what the Crusaders, the Hagiwaras, Clearly, Argentina has done pretty well in their recent trips down under to New Zealand and to Australia. The big question in travel. Well, travel's no travel's no issue for them. The the thing that um, really has stuck in my mind was a comment I think from Kaif on the weekend saying that uh, they've got a game that in some ways is quite similar to the Hurricanes in that um, they can play that that up tempo, just switch it on, take it up a level, uh, quick line speed, very physical, like to throw the, throw the ball around when they get the opportunity. All the, the hallmarks of the Hurricanes maybe exist in this uh, Haguares squad, so maybe they've got the game that can rattle the Crusaders' cage just a little. Yeah, and it won't help Scott Barrett. Ryan Crotty, the mm. two All Blacks, the, the, the powerful well, loose forward slash lock and then your inside centre being ruled out with hand injuries. So. Well, when, when Crotty went off on the weekend, yeah. they did lose a little bit of composure. A bit of shade, yeah. just, just as that guy that the team looks to just to, to settle them down, he was gone and they just didn't quite look the, the same side. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, this weekend, and you'll see that all the build-up from 5 o'clock Eastern on Fox Sports, but... Uh, Let's get to him. Former Wallaby coach, John Connolly. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. John, it's good to catch up and uh, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. G'day, Nick. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, what, what are you up to at the moment? How are you uh, killing your time? I live on the Sunshine Coast and I'm member of the Sunshine Coast Council, which, believe it or not, can keep you fairly busy. It's a big town, the Sunshine Coast now, ninth in Australia, and it's, uh, yeah, I quite enjoy it. And your passion remains rugby. I know that because uh, you, you're very, still very astute about the game. You watch a lot of it. Um, what's your feeling about what's to come over the next few months for the Wallabies? Yeah, well, I, I guess like everyone else, we're, we're living in hope coming into the World Cup and, and arguably we'll get to the quarterfinals and we need a bit of luck. And um, and we hope that Michael Checker has got all his boxes ticks. We, he knows how he wants to play the game, what team he wants to pick and what preparation he wants. And uh, and he's put a lot of thought into that over the last four or five years. Um, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. But um, Australia on the surface definitely appears to have some challenges. But it's not unusual for our super rugby teams to perform not terribly well. And when we put our best 15 on the field, um, we perform well. Um, we had a bit of luck in 2015 in the Scottish game. We got through to the final. Um, and you need a bit of luck. So hopefully it's it's with us. John, we, we, we caught up with you. It would have been about oh, nine months ago now, but uh, late mm. in the Australian Test season last year, clearly it wasn't a great year. Four wins from 13 mm. matches. What's changed between now and uh, or and then? Well, I suppose that's the concern, isn't it, for the Australian rugby supporters? I guess 
in a minute we'll have a chat about the players and we're probably not going to see too many new faces on the horizon that, that weren't there last year. Um, and we don't know what the coaching set up. Burn has just come on board as a, as a backs coach, but we, we've had no feedback of if there's any change of how we're going to play the game or what we're going to do. And you're dictated by how you play the game very much by uh, what cattle is available to us. So it appears we'll probably have the same halves. Um, there may be a change. I mean, Karevi is taking five years to get to his rightful position at 12. You know, he, he is, he's a lock-in. Um, what happens outside that is a concern for all of us, I guess. Um, who's going to be 13? What, who the wingers are? I mean, it appears Corabetti and Spade are probably two of the ones that are in form, but they can be, you know, they can be three out of ten, or they can be nine out of ten stuff. You need the, a lot of the nine out of ten stuff. And who the fullback is going to be? With you could probably argue that three people, Beal. Um, Banks and Helen Petty are fighting for that position. So there's a lot of uncertainty around what our team is. And historically, teams like the 91 Wallabies or the 87 All Blacks or the Springboks Australia's 99 team, Martin Johnson's team, all had a tremendous amount of continuity about them and preparation leading into a World Cup. You could argue we may not have that. Yeah, so from what you're saying, and, and I guess, um, you know, you could ask a lot of experts to name their Wallaby 15 and, and there'd be some differences between uh, most of those sides. Does it feel like we are dragging the chain a little bit? Well, it's a concern that, that we probably haven't got. You really want 10 or 11, 12 lock-ins that this is our team and they've played well together for the last 12 months and we've got to, we're going to have a great campaign ahead of us. I mean, if you talk about the hooker, hooking position, I mean, it's incredibly open, isn't it? I mean, Fitzpatrick, Fianga really struggled under the pressure last Saturday. The Queensland hooker, Murphy, is not a particularly good thrower. Fitzpatrick, I think, is probably the most reliable Um and that's probably a good example. They may have to make selections that that um, all you want to do is hold your own in this area and try and win the game in other areas. Is a Lacey up to speed yet? He's had so little rugby. We know experience is a massive thing in, in World Cups. Um, so there's a, a lot of debate over who the hookers are. We probably know who the, the six props are going to be that are going, the, the three Brumbies props, the three Brumbies props plus probably uh, Robinson, um, Kefu and probably um, Tupo. Which two of those are going to take the field, we don't know. So we could go through the whole side, I guess, with that type of discussion. And, and the back row is is a massive issue. You know, um, It will be interesting around the selection table because we've heard um, O'Connor's views of that the two small flankers, he's not in favour of it. Um, and we don't know if Pocock's even going to get to the line yet, I suppose, with, with this injury. Um which who plays number eight? We need ball carriers. You know, is it Valentini? Is it Nasserani? The blindside flanker position. You know, Lotto was Lotto. The Queensland has played lock and blindside. Well, that's not good enough. He should have played all year blindside. Is it Hannigan? Is it Cottrell? So Samu maybe at number eight. So there's a lot of debate, and that's leaving the Dempsey and the Holloways out of the discussions. So uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a it's a bit of a struggle for us at the moment. Uh, John, John, given your comments around continuity and the importance of that and how mm. much uncertainty there is around selection, is it almost mm. the case that 
Michael Checker should somewhat pick and stick with what he's had and hopefully they've just got better. Yeah, that's probably an argument. I mean, the concern for me, I mean, we had one five eight at the last World Cup, which was Foley, and now we've probably still only got one real option. And Lee Lafano has kind of had good games and real bad games. Same with Quaid. So you're right, you know, Genya Foley, I would probably think will be his combination going forward. And that may hold firm with some of the other positions as well. Um, what he does with Hodge, I mean, um, Karevi will be the 12. Um, who he plays at 13 is a very open discussion. Um, you know, he's had these the players in the squad for a while, the Kieran Dranis, the Hodges, even Adam Ashley Cooper. Defensively struggling in the game. I can't remember which one towards the end of New South Wales game, but I would think one of those three will be his 13. So they've been in they've been in Michael's um, squad for quite a while. That those players that I just mentioned, and he knows them well. So um, hopefully he's in a good position. Now there's a player that you haven't mentioned in any of those discussions, and that is one James O'Connor. Um, yeah. Now as we uh, are recording this podcast, the the word seems to be that he struck a deal to return to the Reds. Nothing official at this stage, although it is expected within hours. Um, Give us your views on on James O'Connor and and well, firstly, with your time uh, at at Queensland in the most recent stint and and with James there, and and what your gauge is of of where he's at with his career um, since he's been in England or and and France before that. Well, I suppose um, I, I, to coach and mine was a very brief stint, as you know, five or six. But I found him really good to deal with. I enjoyed it. Um, he had a few issues off the field at the time in terms of just where he's not bad behaviour issues, just what he wanted out of life. Um, he chose to go overseas again, and I think it's worked out well for him. Working out James's position is the first thing, and it appears that he's decided, and Steve Diamond and Sale decided that 12 is his position. Good. Well, that's important because I think at fullback he struggled. He was tried on the wing. He's definitely not a 10. But, and we'll be looking for a backup for Karevi. So he may well be that person. On the other side of the – and he's played okay. He hasn't played fantastic in England, but he, he played reasonably well. The downside, I suppose, what you want from the modern 12, he's a totally different type of player to Karevi. So if we're playing a certain style with the Wallabies and Karevi's the front runner, you're looking for a backup 12. Now, Michael, uh, uh, young O'Connor plays totally differently to that. Um, the players who are playing against, we're playing against Crotty or the Sunny Bills, you know, or the uh, Landays, all very big men that, are, that he'll be opposed to. Um, that may be a challenge defensively for him at the very top level. Um, I'm not sure, but if you get away from from O'Connor, who the backup 12 to Karevi is, and, I, and I'm not sure, Kirtley is game in rocks and diamonds that position and he's probably the front runner for 15. Uh, I don't think it'll be Carmichael Hunt. So um, James may fit that that role as the backup to, to Karevi. John, how much um, clearly they're going to pick a squad and and it could change with the likes of Jordan Bataille and David Pocock if they're fit later in the rugby championship. But how much experimentation would you do um, off the back of the Springboks test and needing as you get closer to the World Cup? Well, we've only got four tests, haven't we, before we, before we pick the side. Mm. So, and considering that our side has changed dramatically so much over the last few years, 
you would hope Michael has a very good sense of who he wants in the team. And you're going to have changes through injury anyway, generally. You wouldn't want to see too many more. So you would hope in the back of his mind he knows pretty well exactly who he wants in 12 or 13 of those positions, then he may tinker with a couple. Um, but the players need the games under their belt. They're going to walk into Fiji in the World Cup, although I think we'll get over Fiji. Um, the Wales game will be a big one. So, you know, they haven't got many games to get themselves ready. So you would hope they need those games under the belt. You've seen, obviously, how, well, we all saw Wales win Six Nations. They were outstanding. Mm. Um, and mm. you've mentioned Fiji. But to, to go deep into that tournament, we might have to beat Argentina. We might have to beat England. You would imagine yeah. at some stage to to win it, more than likely would have to beat uh, New Zealand yeah. or South Africa. Yeah. And you know how all of those teams play. What's the best style of rugby that Australia can play to win the World Cup? What sort of game do they have to play? Well, the, the problem we've got at the moment with Australia, we, we're not recognised for any style. At the moment, our motto is we'll try and kick the door down with power. If that doesn't work, we'll just kick harder. You know, there's no real subtleties to our game, and I think that's what has to come in. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, we're playing the, the multi-phase game. The multi-phase game really depends on you committing two or three of them to the breakdown, a couple in the transition zone. You want to create one-on-ones in the back line, and then you've got the skill set to be able to capitalise on those one-on-ones um, and read how you're going to play it, You know whether you, you take them on or you drop the ball out the back. Um, the skill set of the players is so so important. If by chance we go down the road of a Karevi or a Kirandrani in the centres, and you could argue that may be the favourite spot at the moment, um, they're both very big power players, and I was very disappointed with Kurandrani in that Argentinian game. Uh, your 13 is generally your hinge that you, you play off. Karevi's passing and offloading is definitely improving. Um, so we're, you're dictated to how you play very much by the cattle you've got. Um, for example, if you're playing against Australia, you know there are no real kicking threats there with, with Foley at 5'8". So you'll, you'll play 20 metres closer. Um, and that can change the course of the game as well. So there are so many variables in in how you want to play, I think, going forward. I mean, Nick White's an interesting possibility as a halfback. We've got to remember he left Australia because he couldn't make the top two. I'm not sure if he's a better player coming back, but he's arguably may have a better kicking game, and that could be important to us. So Checker will be weighing up all that, those types of options. Mm. Um, it's not only your attack, it's, it's it's the tactics that you employ. We saw Ireland play close, close, then go back down the blind. We see Wales really extinguish to the sideline, then go to the 10-metre line, then try and get quick ball when they've opened up three-quarters of the field. So the tactics are going to vary from team to team. The tactics are going to vary from whatever team that Michael selects. Um there's no doubt with a Pocock Hooper back row, we haven't got a huge ball running back row there um, in terms of power. If we go, you know, we need ball runners in the forwards to get us going forward first. Mm. So tactics is such an important part of how you play, it, play the game. And John, we're, we're very fixated, obviously, on the on the World Cup. That's everyone's on everyone's mm. forefront of the minds. But yeah. uh, as we've seen with the Waratahs recently, in the departure of of Daryl Gibson, um, mm. Simon Cron too, uh, forward thinking planning is pretty important too. And for the Wallabies, we're not quite sure who necessarily that the forefront or the front runner will be to replace Michael Checker, but. Who, who do you yeah. think would be a, a good fit to come into um, the, the Wallabies coaching uh, side beyond 2019? 
Well, there there are difficulties bringing foreigners in here because they don't know the structure. And I know when I coached in Europe for eight or nine years, and England for three, you the schools you've got to look at, the people you've got to talk to, and how you how that works. And that's a problem. And that was a problem for Robbie Deans coming in. It's a problem for foreign coach. My view of coaching these days has probably changed a little bit. Um, the America, the gridiron system where you have an offensive coach who's your attack coach is the head coach because it's, most of ours is multi-phase play and, ha- and how we attack the multi-phase game. And then we have our unit coaches, scrum, line out, defence underneath that. So I, I would like to see a head coach that really is responsible for our, for our attack and then and we colour in the rest underneath are all the units. Um, who that person is? I'm not sure. I mean, there are people like the Tony Browns and these people around around the place. I thought I thought uh, Whistles was doing very well. David Whistles in in um, in Melbourne initially, and then the wheels fell off with the air campaign at the end. But a lot of thought has to go into who the next coach is, how we want to play, um, the skill set of our players, how we train is a big issue. Um, the, Developing the athlete is so important. You know, the footwork, the ball transference, playing through the tackle or floating in the tackle. We don't see that from Australian players anywhere near as much as we see from the Kiwis and particularly from sides in in Europe at the moment. So they're obviously being coached a bit differently. Mm. Um, Just in terms of you talk about developing a player, um, you talk about coaches it's it's from my point of view it's interesting to hear someone who um obviously still watches so much and 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 you know is so passionate about the game you've spent a life in rugby um you know you've, you've been a coach at all levels um what's your view on the lack of development of coaches in the game why are we having this discussion about where our next wallaby coach is is coming from um shouldn't shouldn't that have been lined up years ago shouldn't we know the answer to that question Mate, it's a very good question of why the game is is where it is at the moment. With our, with the Wallabies probably lucky to hit fifty percent, and our Super Team struggling. And, um, you know, our de- talented education. Yes, you've got a plan plan for the future. There's no doubt. But going back twenty years, you know, our coaches were sought after around the world. Um, our, our players were always considered a very smart country of how we played the game to some extent. And, and people learned of us. Now, you know, we've, we've turned it all around. I think there are many reasons for that, many reasons. I mean, I think the administrators have to take, you know, we've all been through interviews with different people in, in rugby and some of the, and these are the people making the decisions that probably know little about the game at times. I mean, there's a whole myriad of issues. I mean, even at, down to schoolboy level where this. GPS competition in Brisbane, which is a major feeding ground for, for the Queensland team, hasn't started yet, and it's nearly it's into July. Soccer and Australian rules are a, sec, a second term, so all, all these things impact us. Our twenty ones, except for this year, previous six or seven years, probably haven't been in the top four or five teams, and that's going to impact at the top level. Mm. So there's there's a, there's a I think there's there's a lot of reasons probably why. Um, identifying to have a great team, you need threads of gold. You look back at the history of the Australian side when we had the, you know, the Ellers and the Liners and the Far James and those world-class players. Um, we haven't got those at the moment. The Horns and Littles, talent identification, 
I mean, Pongy is slipping through the nets. We should have offered him half of Tasmania to stay in rugby. <laughs> <laughs> from, 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 well, actually, you might have to pay more than that. Half of Tasmania might have been. But, but the point I'm making is we signed Alton Flatley in 96 to a very good three-year contract, a lot more than Lee, because we knew he was going to be a star. You need your threads of gold, one, to have a great team, and two, for kids to follow. You know, Bob Dewar, I think, used to say, his famous saying, you need four or five world-class players to have a world-class team. Now, if you had a look at the Wallabies at the moment, if you had to pick the World 15, we, we may not contribute too many players to it. So th- there's a lot of buckets I think we've got to, to look at, mm. but particularly how we play the game, and, and that's a coaching thing, that's a training thing, a skill factor, you know, are we doing the right type of training? Well, let's hope uh, a successful uh, sort of four, five, six weeks as uh, as we head into the Rugby Championship and, and then the World Cup. If we can get a few things right over the next couple of months, maybe that might be the Philip that the game uh, needs yes. to, to kick on. John, thanks so much for your Very time important. today. It's always no, it's a pleasure. terrific to have a chat, and I'm sure we will in the, in the near future. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, John. He's still one of the best brains in Australian rugby, John Connolly. I know that he just spends so much time watching and and pondering and and thinking about the game. Nothing's changed there. No, no. We caught up with him six months ago or nine months ago, I think it was, and and just as astute then that he is now and Mm. he's clearly watched a lot of the Super Rugby, but he's right. There are lots of questions to be answered and, and I think the most intriguing element will be how much uh, experimentation happens over these four tests because we've seen Czech change his locks so much over the years. His wingers pretty much every second test. I don't think he can afford to do that now. Mm. And uh, and one thing that there does seem to be consensus about is that we're really not going to see uh, too many bolters. I know in an article that you've written on foxsports.com.au and, and asking the likes of Stephen Hoyles and Greg Martin and, and Rod Kafer to give you their, was it the... The squads, or yeah, just the, or just squads, the fifteen, the, the squads, and and uh, I think Mardo had some some bolters in there, um, which is really interesting. I love the way that he thinks about the game, but the fact is they can't at this stage, can they? You, you can't you can't roll the dice on on some players that we haven't seen before. The point was being made that if you have an injury to someone like a Will Genie or or or, a, or a Nick White or whoever it might be, who are you most confident about if you're if you're in a World Cup semi-final to come in and start a game? And yep. would you be prepared to have Tate McDermott who might have played one or two tests by then or none at all come in to play 80 minutes potentially or if there's an injury in the first minute and your your backup has to to come on, so do but, you... but but isn't it interesting though? I mean, yes. I mean, let's let's assume that that we maybe see Tate McDermott in two Test matches before then. But essentially, that's that's not a whole lot fewer Test matches than Falau Fanga and and uh, and and um, uh, Jordan Ulysses have played. Exactly. For example. So so we've we've got these guys who've had a taste of it, uh, but really haven't had a lot of. Yeah, you know, there's a big push for Jordan Ulysses. To play, he hasn't really had. He's played about like, two and a half games in a in a year. Yeah, and and a couple of tests before that. So yeah. you know, it's like I, I just think that the rolling the dice and and the mo- the longer it goes on, and I wouldn't have thought like this maybe two months ago, but the longer it goes on, um, Fitzpatrick as as an option of at least knowing what you're going to get in in the hooking position. Well, unfortunately, yeah, we've seen well, whatever you think of Fitzpatrick, he hasn't been involved in these Wallabies no. camps. So Michael Checker clearly doesn't like 
what Damien Fitzpatrick brings, but from everyone that you speak to, um, you only have to look at what he does off the, off the field, the, the head of Rupert from the player's perspective, um, how experienced he is. He's been played at Clermont previously as their starting Leon. hooker. Um, He's yeah, at and, Leon for a time as well, yeah. Yeah, and so has has got so much starting experience in his late 20s. You would have thought, I, I would have thought anyway, that he'd maybe have got a look in last year at some point in time. But... Hoylesy and those, uh, I know that Steve Hoyles, he, he was thinking along the lines of if, if Flowerfying is the favourite, which most people think he is, that the importance of having someone like a Tatafu Pilota now, mm. even though he might not necessarily be in that starting 15, having so many tests under his uh, belt, more than 100 Super Rugby Cats, have been at a World Cup, someone like him becomes quite invaluable mm. to a squad. Interesting. So uh, all of that to play out when we see... Uh, the first Wallaby squad for 2019 named uh, in the next few days towards the end of this week, we're told. Um, speaking of uh, international squads, the Wallaroos, uh, they are getting set for uh, two tests uh, against Japan and then a couple of tests against the Kiwis. So it's a perfect time to catch up with uh, one of their stars, Kiri Lingman. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Kerry, it is great to have you on board the Fox Rugby Podcast. Welcome and uh, and thanks for your time. No, thank you for having me. Now, you've got a big uh, couple of months coming up, haven't you, with uh, test matches first up against Japan on the 13th of June in Newcastle and then uh, again a week later at North Sydney Oval, then a couple of tests against New Zealand as well. How excited are you about what's to come? Yeah, extremely excited. Um, this is my first time ever having the opportunity to potentially play Japan. Um, so I guess to have that, uh, um, you know, that step up into the Black Ferns test matches is exactly what we need at the moment. Yeah, talk us through what's uh, what's happening in terms of the preparation leading up to that. You, you, I believe you're going to have a, a camp in the, in the coming days? Yeah, so we all uh, head to the squad that's a part of the first tour. We all head to Newcastle this Saturday. Um, we've kind of just been training in our own satellite groups um, within our states and this will kind of be our first time for the year that we all get together. And luckily, we've got a um, you know a solid week of training and prep to kind of be ready for that first test. In years gone by, well, certainly up until the last few years, um, you know, you would have prepared for test matches and come in as a very disparate sort of group, you know. Um, I guess you spend the first little while getting to know each other. Super W's changed all of that with the dynamic, the girls having come off a fairly... Solid base. How does that really change things for the Wallaroos? I think it kind of it bridges that gap, um, and you definitely. I mean, I noticed it even um, between club. You know, not not many people go from club to international rugby, which is what everyone was doing for years, except for the week of nationals that we'd have, which would um, be modified rugby. You know, we were playing twenty minute halves and and three games a day almost. Um, so, so basically, it it bridges that gap of professionalism. It bridges that gap of standard and brings everyone up a level. So when we get to test matches and we get to camps, it's not such a shock to the system, and you're kind of in that 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 progress of professionalism. Yeah, and you and you mentioned the satellite groups that you've been training uh, with, and over the last what six weeks or so since the Super W final in uh, Sydney. So, so what's that involved, and, and what have you actually been doing? So. Uh, with Queensland, so we're quite lucky. We have, a, I think it was around about 12 or 12, 14 girls um, each week. So we pretty much have almost a, uh, a team there to train. 
um, basically it's um, field and gym and, and nutrition and everything that you would you would do if you were training as a full squad just in the smaller groups given you know it's a bit hard for everyone to get together all the time so um, it's full on it's, it's a proper I'd say semi-professional program so um, we're quite lucky especially with the Reds to have the facilities and to have the staff helping us along the way. Now I know that uh, you've been there before but you you kind of almost almost born to play rugby union for Australia, weren't you? Your mum was the first ever female coach and, and selector of the Wallaroos. Yeah, that's right. You would think that I would be born to play, but um, I don't think my mum saw anything coming out of my first year of rugby. Um, <laughs> if anything, she probably thought the complete opposite. I was pretty shocking, to be honest. Um, and unfortunately, she had three girls that all were obsessed with netball for 20 years. So um, just a strange turn of events and um, you know, the competitiveness kicked in and suddenly I found myself a part of the um, Aussie system. So how did you make that transition or why did you make that transition? What what was the switch that got flicked there from, from netball to rugby? Um, I'd heard it was it was kind of in that, that phase where um, Aussie Sevens had just been announced as an Olympic sport. Um, and my mum always used to tell me stories about rugby and about travelling the world and um, everything that it, that it did for her. And I think I was just looking for something a bit different and something that could take me a few more places. And so um, obviously starting rugby, I definitely didn't have um, playing for Australia in my head straight away, especially after my first few games. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I've just eventually found my groove and, and, you know, was sold on what I wanted to do with rugby and um, just kept going until I got there, really. I suppose that's probably lived up to um, expectation and what you hoped it would, considering you're playing for Australia now. What, what are some of the things, that, the lighter things that you see on a, on a rugby pitch or the friendships that you've developed through the game? Uh, I think it's just in the most cliche way possible. Some of these girls that that you play with, I think you'll be friends with forever. Um, there's not many sports like rugby that can take you all over the world and you have the ability to play anywhere and and just everything that it entails, everything that rugby's given me on and off the field has been a bit of a dream run really these last few years. And um, just, you know, even when I got the call from Dwayne to, to say I was a part of this sport, it's always like hearing it for the first time. It's a bit surreal. And take it back to the start, your... Your mum, uh, you talk about surreal moments, your mum presented you with your first ever Wallaroos jersey, is that right? Uh, she presented me with my first starting jersey. So right. it was uh, the third test of that tour, um, which was all all the timing was a bit uncanny. It was The test was in Rotorua, which is where my parents are actually from. Um, so she presented me my first jersey. Not that I remember too much of it because I think I cried from start to, <laughs> from start to finish like a baby. <laughs> so, so um, but, but in, yeah, that's probably in terms of, of special moments though. That that's got to be right up there. I mean, you know, just just getting a, a jersey, um, whether it be your first starting jersey or, or your you know your first squad jersey, um, would be special at any moment. But having your mum present it like that's that's whole next level. Yeah, it was huge. And and no one actually – so it was supposed to be a big surprise. So no one actually told me what was going on until she turned up there to present the jersey on the day. So, um, yeah, unfortunately the waterworks were, were in overdrive and I, the photos – I wish there were nice photos, but my face was blotchy and red. <laughs> and, 
Um, but yeah, it was. It, I'd have to say that's probably my most special moment in rugby um, so far. It seems like a bit of a running theme at the moment, the tears, because I was, I was speaking to Grace Hamilton just a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that she was the new Wallaby, Wallaroos captain and uh, she said that, yeah, she she cried and, and couldn't believe it when she got off the phone to, to Dwayne. Um, the, the expectation, though, is slightly changing now for the Wallaroos and, and a couple of test matches against Japan, so in Newcastle, then down in North Sydney, um, followed by a double header against uh, the, the Black Ferns. Um, so what's the expectation? Expectation now with this group going forward? Uh, I think the expectation is definitely changing that we should be competing with the best teams in the world. Um, and it's such a short amount of time that that's kind of been kicking in. You know, my first year of Wallaroos, you always have an expectation with a team, but I think we were just happy to be a part of it and happy to be slightly competitive. But now it's, you know, it's not really good enough just to, to be there. We should be up there competing with the Black Ferns, um, Canada with England and, and be amongst the best. And, um, you know, everything at the moment is building towards the next World Cup in 2021. And um, that's that's the end goal and that's what we're aiming for. And I think it's a, a nice, um, you know, journey along the way with, with what we're doing, especially last year, just noticing the difference in, in how we play as a squad and the nation with the tests. You missed out on the last World Cup, didn't you? So you'd be nice and hungry. I did. I did a few weeks before I ruptured my hamstring. So, um, unfortunately, the World Cup wasn't meant to be that time around. So, um, I think ever since I didn't go to the last World Cup, the only thing that's really been on my mind is the next World Cup. Yeah, fair enough to um, give it a shake this time. Um, just quickly on Japan, and I know that um, that our commentators and experts have been um, trying to do their homework on things as basic as um, you know pronunciation of the the Japanese players, but certainly you know playing history, uh, strengths and weaknesses, all that sort of stuff that that you do before a game. Now you guys have to do similar stuff. Maybe not the pronunciation guide, but you have to do your homework yeah. on on what they bring to the game. How difficult? Is that against a team that uh, that you don't get to see a lot of? Yeah, um, I mean, for us, especially, there's a you know a real lack of video footage with that kind of thing as well. Um, but I think the Wallaroos were lucky enough to play um, Japan in the last uh, World Cup, so there's a little bit of of what Japan does and what they're typically like. So. Um, you know, there's there's a bit there to go off, but it, you just have to focus on yourselves and I guess turn up on the day to perform your best. Yeah, I think you recall maybe Mahalia Murphy there scoring at the end to help the Wallaroos get across the line uh, against against the Japanese. Um, just on the on the improvements as well, like clearly at the moment New Zealand and England, a couple of other nations are playing over in Canada as well. There was a little bit of conjecture recently about the facilities and so forth that, that women's rugby were playing on. Just your perspective on how the women's game is uh, maybe probably focusing specifically on Australia, but how the, how the women's game has really developed and taken off these last couple of years? Yeah, so I think um, the biggest thing is just noticing the increase of professionalism and, and the standard of play, really. I think um, that's been pretty evident through Super W, especially with the two grand finals. Um, and that is obviously transferred over into our international tests, um, noticeably from the time we played the Black Ferns in 2017 to when we played them last year. So um, for us, I guess it's all, all about building and growing. And I think that's evident with what we're doing and with score lines and, and how we are as a squad.
Yeah, and it, it is going to be great to have uh, those two tests against the Black Ferns as uh, part of double headers uh, with the All Blacks and, and the Wallabies to follow. Just like last year, it was a huge success and I think it will be again. Um, he is hoping for big crowds in Newcastle on the 13th of June and then North Sydney Oval on the 19th of June and, and big viewing numbers uh, here on Fox Sports. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed for that and fingers crossed for, uh, for the Wallaroos. Kiri, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me. Kiri Lingman there, and they've got so much to look forward to over the next few weeks with those four test matches. And there is a bit of a gap to close against the Kiwis, but uh, if they can make an impact there, then it will be clear that the women's game is certainly heading in the right direction. Yeah, undoubtedly. We saw, yeah, and Kiri touched upon it, but there's been some significant progression on that front in the last two years just through the Super W, you think, and good to um, good to touch base and see what all the women have been doing actually in the last, yeah, one, uh, one or two months, and clearly it's been a little while since that um, enthralling Super Rugby or Super W final. Indeed. Now, just before we sign off, um, a final thought. The Jaguars, can they get it done against uh, the Crusaders or is it just the Crusaders' one-way traffic? I I think it will be a competitive game. I don't know if they can get the business done, though. But the reality is the Crusaders, uh, what, 23 straight games, they've won in finals at home. Yep. Um, and the Jaguars, uh, look... Clearly, they were up for it again in the semi-final off the back of their huge celebrations in the quarter, but it's a huge different proposition when you're going to a, a cold environment in you know the, the, the South Island of New Zealand against a red-hot side that's got so many internationals. And, and uh, I reckon they would have just been thrilled to have won the semi-final at home in front of such a big crowd that it would be pretty hard for them to lift. Yeah, that's what we were wondering when we saw those celebrations. Like, oh, hang on, is, is that is that just the South American exuberance or is that a team that just thinks that uh, they've played their grand final? Well, so. the exuberance is fair and we see that every time that they sing the national anthem and Augustine Creevy's always leading it. And mm. You look at guys like Pablo Matera, they're, they're going to be... They'll, they'll give themselves the best opportunity. I just think there's too much class and probably in Richie Mwanga up against a, a young 10 who's only played one test and mm. has got a long way to go but before him. So uh, a third uh, a third championship under Scott Robertson, which would be a remarkable effort. Um, it would be uh, 10 Super Rugby titles to the Crusaders, but there's some, some big numbers that they're playing for. And, of course, when you consider what happened there, earlier in the year with uh, with the mosque attacks. Uh, there's a bit of emotion still just bubbling below the surface for, for everyone who loves their rugby in that part of the world, but particularly for the Crusaders. But we wish both teams all the, the very best of luck for the Super Rugby final for 2019. A big thanks to John Connolly and Kerry Lingman today. Christy, thanks for your company as well. Good to see you. And thanks for your company on the Fox Rugby Podcast.